The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loved us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Christy. Well, I have a question for you. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Tell those around you. Let them know how safe or unsafe they are this morning. Go ahead. Are you a night owl or a morning person? Go ahead. And don't tell your spouse or the person who lives in your house. Tell someone else. So for how many of you is 10.30 an early service? <laughs> how many of this is way late in the day? Yeah. Is that because you have little kids? Some of, you, some of your hands. But let me ask this. How do you wake up when you're suddenly shaken awake out of your deepest sleep? Like, are you, are you the kind of person that just comes out of bed ready? No. You're the person that kind of wipes the drool off your face, wakes up a bit confused and groggy, a bit stupid for several hours. Getting shaken awake is no fun. I think we've all probably had it a time or two. Something's gone on. We know when that happens, when there's a loud knock on the door or a ringing phone in the middle of the night or someone's shaking you at 2 a.m. It's usually a good reason for it. Or there better be. Right? Today, in our Revelation study, Jesus is shaking awake a sleepy church. A church that's so deeply asleep that it may have slipped into a coma. In fact, it might be so far into a coma that it might already be dead. Or at least the heartbeat is pretty faint. I mean, how do you wake up someone like that? How do you wake up someone that's in such a deep sleep? You know, what if the house is on fire and lives are at stake? How do you wake them up? You wake them up by doing whatever you can, right? You shake, you shout, you rattle, you bang. You physically lift them, drop them, lift them, drop them several times if you have to. You get them up, right? This is what Jesus is doing in this next message in Revelation. The message to Sardis. Thanks, Maureen. We're in the middle, uh, well, not in the middle. We've got a long ways to go yet. We're getting into our Revelation series 
We're on the uh, what, one, 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 fifth Sunday of the, the messages Jesus gives, seventh uh, Sunday of the series. And we've been looking at this letter that Jesus uh, gave to, uh, vision that Jesus gave to John, and John wrote this letter. And it was, it was a big letter. The whole book of Revelation is a letter. And it was sent out and it was taken around to these seven particular churches. Right at the start of Revelation, Jesus reveals who he is to John. And we talked about how this whole letter is an apocalypse. Apocalypse not being something negative or scary or horrible, but the apocalypse being where the curtain is pulled back to reveal something, or in this case, someone, Jesus, who is present in the middle of people's mass, in the middle of our mass, in the middle of the church, even when people couldn't see him. And so the apocalypse, the revelation, is designed to pull back the curtain on who Jesus is, on their reality, their situation, to help them see from his perspective what's really going on. And at the start of this, Jesus, after he gives his vision, he then um, gives like personal messages, seven of them, one for each of the churches. They're all hearing the whole thing, but... At particular moments, each church sort of sits up because they realize Jesus is now speaking directly to them. Here, he's speaking to this church in Sardis. So we're just going to walk through this a bit today. Hopefully, if we have time, we'll have a few times for questions or comments. It's on the insert in your bulletin, or maybe you have it on a Bible in front of your pew or you brought Bibles. Revelation chapter 3, 1 to 6. Here we are. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. This reaches back to the start, starting vision in chapter 1. Not only where we hear about the seven spirits of God, but we see Jesus holding the seven stars. I know your deeds, Jesus says. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. What does it mean? I mean... What does it mean to have a reputation for being alive and yet being, in fact, dead? What does that even look like? You know, as we've seen all along, Jesus starts each of his seven personalized messages by stating something he knows about each church. In five of them, he says exactly what he says here, I know your deeds. But what he usually does at this point is he commends the individual church for something. Even if he's got a strong difficult word to share with them that's coming, he'll say something positive about them. He'll, 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 he'll talk about what's good, what's, what, you know, the, the good things that are happening, the ways they're reaching out, the, the ways they're holding and they're being faithful. It's really stark that in this church, he doesn't do that. Instead, he goes on right from I know your deeds right to telling them that they are in desperate shape, that their reputation doesn't match their reality. And Jesus knows it. What does that mean? What does it mean that their reputation doesn't match the reality? I mean, this church, these Christians, if anyone would have looked at them, they would have said, those guys are awesome. That's an awesome church. Those are awesome Christians. I mean, have you been to one of their worship gatherings? It's awesome. What a community. They sure care. If you need a helping hand, you can go to them. They're a church that really prays. They're a church that really serves, really preaches, really gives. This is what people were seeing. They had an amazing reputation, a good name. If you were to ask, what's the church that's moving and shaking around Sardis these days? It would have been them. Or maybe I should say around Asia Minor, because there probably only was one church in Sardis. But you know what I'm saying. It would have been First Church of Sardis. Man, those guys are incredible. They've got it. They're awesome. 
Some of you have the same reputation, don't you? You worship, you serve, you give, you show up, you, you talk a lot about your faith, you, you use all the right Christian words, you post inspirational quotes on Facebook. You, you know, from the outside looking in, at least from a bit of a distance, you seem really vibrant, you seem alive, you seem together, you seem faithful, you seem so darn Christian. But like the church in Sardis, you have a reputation for being alive, but the question is, does the reputation match reality? What about our reputation as a church in the Creston Valley? What, what about the reputation of the Erickson Covenant Church? What are we known for? What, what would the community, maybe other churches, but I'm, I'm thinking now in particular, what about the larger community? Are we known for anything at all? I mean, do they even know we exist? What's our reputation with unchurched families? What's our reputation with single moms or with struggling teens? What's our reputation with overworked parents or lonely seniors? Do we have any reputation at all? Do we have a reputation for acceptance? Are we known as a community that welcomes questions and welcomes questioners of all kinds? That Are we known as a community that fosters conversations that matter, that, that, that cares for people more than we care for ourselves, maybe more than they care for themselves? Are we known as the kind of community that's willing to do whatever it takes to make space for people in our lives? Space for people in our community. Uh, Space in our lives for people who really aren't too sure about Jesus and are are pretty offended by religion, and I don't blame them, but, but they're willing to engage in some sort of friendship with you, some sort of process of discovery. Do we have a reputation for being alive? Now listen really clearly. There's nothing wrong with having a reputation for being alive, is there? No, there's nothing wrong with that. If people see something, there's nothing wrong with that reputation if it's true. Right? That's what's going on here. If people see something in us, they see what's going on in the community, and it truly represents what Jesus is actually doing in our lives. That we're not making grandiose claims, but somehow what they're seeing is what is reality. Then that's good, that's compelling. I mean, that's the witness of the gospel, right? That as people see God doing work in our lives, as they hear about changes you're making, as they, as they begin to hear you talk about the amazing, this Jesus guy that you just found and you're now following, you hear that? And, 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 and you begin to hear that, they, they're attracted to that because there's a reality behind the reputation, if it's true. But the problem in Sardis, and let's be honest, the problem that we sometimes have, the problem that's been dogging the church for years is when our good reputation doesn't actually match true reality. When what looks true on the outside isn't true on the inside. We all call that what? Hypocrisy, right? When there's a gap. Especially when it's an unacknowledged gap. I mean, we, can, we all acknowledge the gap. We all acknowledge that Jesus wants, you know, wants us to move this way and there's a gap in our lives. Acknowledging it, that's, that's grace. That's no problem. It's when we deny the gap or we ignore it or we... Don't even say it exists, that we have a problem. When people get up close, especially unchurched folks get up close, they can see that. They can see that in the church. They can see it in our lives. And it's a real turnoff. Hypocrisy. Well, whether others see it or not, in some ways, as we listen to this message, in some ways that's irrelevant because what we really want to know is what does Jesus see? And what Jesus sees when he looks at this church He sees hypocrisy. He sees that the reality doesn't match the reputation. And as we've seen now five times, Jesus 
wants to pull back the curtain and, and give these churches an apocalyptic reality check to show them what he sees, to show them what's truly going on, to cut through all the delusion and reveal himself to them, but also themselves to them. Does that make sense? So that they can see themselves for who they truly are. The reputation for life is actually, in this case, masking the odor of their own death. And Jesus can smell it. So what's the solution? I mean, that's the question we want to ask ourselves. If you realize this morning that you have a reputation that far outstrips your reality, what do you do? If we as a church, as Erickson Covenant Church, if we realize that our name might be good, but our name before God is slipping away, how do we respond? In a nutshell, how do we deal with hypocrisy? How do we face up to it in our own lives, in the life of our church? This is the crucial question. It's kind of the question, how do you wake yourself up if you're nearly dead? How do you actually move from death to life? How do we actually make sure that the reality of life in here, in here, matches the reputation we have for life out there? Well, the long and short of it is we need to let Jesus shake us awake. We need to let Jesus in to grab a hold of us and give us a good, hard shaking. And in this message of Sardis, Jesus issues five direct, very clear commands that are designed to do just like that. Just that. So let's, let's get into them. We'll, I'll read the whole section for you, and then we'll kind of walk through them quickly um, individually. Jesus says to this group that, I know your deeds, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. And this is what Jesus says. Listen for the five commands he gives them. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, and hold it fast and repent. Do you hear all five? Let's get into the first one. The first command is to wake up. This is Jesus standing over the sleeping church, hand on the shoulder, shaking us out of our deep sleep. Wake up, Jesus says. Wake up. Do you realize what's at stake? Do you realize what's going on? Shake off your groggy thinking. Wipe the drool from your face. Get up. How do we do that? How do we let Jesus actually shake us awake? I think it's by letting Jesus help us take stock of our true reality. This is Jesus waking us up and saying, you need to look in the mirror right now. Some of you know that looking in the mirror when you first wake up is a frightening reality. But it is reality. Jesus invites us to take a cold, hard look in the mirror. This Jesus who loves us so much wants to look deep within us and wants to reveal to us personally and as a church the areas where we lack, the areas where we're dead, the areas where we've been living in utter delusion about what's going on. Wake up, Jesus says. You might still look loving to everybody else, but you're no longer loving from the heart. Wake up. People might be wowed by your knowledge of the Bible or of God, but you've lost any interest in learning more about me, in growing in relationship with me. Wake up. You know, you seem pretty committed to Jesus, but when it comes right down to it, you haven't told anyone about Jesus for years. 
You haven't invited anyone into a spiritual conversation about me for years. And in fact, you've come up with some pretty compelling reasons as to why you shouldn't tell people about me. Wake up, Jesus says. You know, folks at work, they know you're a Christian. But in reality, you're not really living like it. You're not really experiencing my life in you at work. Wake up, people. See you as generous. But truth be told, you aren't giving like you used to, and you certainly aren't giving from a heart of passion or a heart with kingdom focus. Wake up. It might look like you care. But really, if you're honest, you just don't really care anymore. You know, for the Erickson Covenant Church, I think, you wake up, Jesus would say. You know, you say you want people to find and follow me. But... Jesus sees our hearts and he asks, are you actually willing to make that happen? You might be known as a church in the valley who cares for families, who has this long 75-year history of loving and caring for families and youth in this valley. That's what the Erickson Covenant Church is known for if you dig into the history. But are you, Erickson Covenant Church, going to step up to the vision that I have, Jesus speaking, that I have for the future families of this valley? Are you going to step into that? Jesus is saying, wake up. You might be known as a church who's alive, but are you seeking my face? Are you, availing, are you, are you laying down all your gifts for me? Are you asking how you can serve? Are you praying that my kingdom would come? Are you witnessing in my name? Are you growing in passion and obedience? Is that true? Jesus is holding up the mirror. He's shaking us awake. This is the Jesus gut check. And we have to be willing to let Jesus do this for us. This is tough stuff. I don't think this is any fun. Do you? I don't. I don't enjoy this at all. Because often, you know, I want to tell myself, I don't look that bad in the mornings. Don't you? I don't look that bad. The mirror is a liar. That's not really true of me. I'm not that deluded. That's not dead. I want to let myself off the hook. And I know we always have a lot of grace for ourselves, don't we? We want to, you know, argue for why this is not true or why this is that way. And we can so easily be duped as a church and as individuals, into thinking that we're more alive than we actually are. I think it's because we're afraid to admit. We're afraid to admit how far we've fallen. We're afraid to admit how dead we feel. We're, we're afraid of confessing how complacent we've become. Maybe we've been living on the afterglow of experiences with God from a long time ago. Or maybe we've been living off the heritage we have as a church from the past. I don't know what it is, but if we're honest... We resist this kind of evaluation from Jesus as a church, as people. We kind of resist it. And Jesus is asking us, do you want to live? Because if you want to live, you've got to let me wake you up. Well, wiping the sleep from our eyes, Jesus then says to us, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. This command is very closely connected. Wake up and strengthen Wake up. Take a look around. Realize what part of, your, part of your body has gone numb. Has lost blood. Hasn't working anymore. Take a look around. This is true individually. This is true as a church. Identify the areas in your life where you think, wow, if I don't do something here, I'm not going to have anything left. 
Identify areas in our church where if I don't, if I don't step up, if I don't avail my gifts, if I don't give in this area, if I don't sign up and serve, that that is going to be lost. Our youth are going to be lost. Our children are going to be lost. That person is going to be lost. Whatever it is, look around and strengthen what remains. The question that I thought of for us is, what needs to be strengthened in your life? I mean, what is it when you're shaken awake by Jesus, when he, when he helps you look in the mirror, what area in your life do you realize I gotta, I gotta lean into that. I, got, I gotta, I gotta step up. What area is it here in the church? Because actually, here's the thing. When Jesus wakes us up and reveals what's going on, there's gonna be some particular areas where we realize, if I'll just put my energy into that, it can make a difference for all the rest. Maybe you still, maybe you realize that life with Jesus has become a bit dull for you. But you still love worship music. Which is another example. This is just a tiny example. And you realize, I still love worship music, and so what I want to do to strengthen what remains of my relationship with Jesus is I want to begin to take in more worship. I'm going to listen to it on YouTube, and I'm going to choose to put it into my mind, and I'm going to play, pull out that old guitar, and I'm going to play, and I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I'm gathering to worship with the community because I realize that that's an area that if I strengthen what remains, it will have a global effect on the rest of my life. Maybe there's someone in your life where you realize, you know, I still have a relationship with this person, but it's been slipping. It's been slipping away. And I realize that I might be the only connection that person has with Jesus. I might be the only connection they have with this church. And instead of ignoring that and putting that off and realizing, I don't have time, I'm going to step into that area. I'm going to strengthen what remains. I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to call that person. I'm going to meet them for coffee. I'm going to begin to be intentional about nurturing a friendship with them that focuses on Jesus, that helps them Find and follow Jesus. What is the area in your life? I can't tell you, but I know Jesus can. And he calls us to identify it and to strengthen it, to put our energy and prayer into it, to to prioritize it in our schedule in our life. Well, after that, Jesus gives three more quick commands. We'll just go through them really quickly. He says, Remember therefore what you've received and heard, hold it fast, and repent. When Jesus says, remember what you received and heard, he's like using, not code word, I don't like that code idea, but not, he's using a phrase that would be commonly understood among the people. And he's appealing to the time when they received the Holy Spirit after they had heard the good news about Jesus. This is what he's talking about. He's asking them to remember the time when they first understood God's grace and received his forgiveness. They're asking, he's asking them to remember what it was like before you knew that there was freedom. When your life was stuck. When your, when your relationships were just being sabotaged. When your marriages were constantly blowing up. He asks you to remember the time when you get up in the morning and you honestly thought about killing yourself every day because what was the point? He's asking you to remember the times before Jesus. Remember then the change that occurred as you received forgiveness, as you received the gift of God's presence in your life. And you heard the good news. You heard there was a purpose for you. You heard that you were loved and precious. He's saying, remember that. It's key to why you fell asleep in the first place because you forgot. You forgot what it was like to be lost. You forgot what it was like to be unloved. You forgot what it was like to to not have any hope. You forgot. And so you need to remember what you received. Remember what you heard. Remember. And as you remember it, hold on to it, Jesus says. Hold on to that. 
Don't forget, I think, if you link it directly to the fact that we are called to reach other people, that when we forget what it was like to be without Jesus, we forget what it is like for people to be without Jesus. We forget what it's like out there every day. We forget what it's like on a Tuesday morning when people get up and they wonder, what am I living for? We forget what it's like to to go through life without the Holy Spirit, without forgiveness, without freedom. And he says, you've got to remember this. And as you remember, let it fuel your passion. Hold on to that and repent. Repentance has come up quite a few times in these memos that Jesus gives. And here at the end of the list, it's kind of interesting. It's like Jesus saying, do it now. Don't delay. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Don't say, I'll think about it next week. Do it now. Wake up. Strengthen what remains. Remember, hold it fast and repent. There's an urgency. Do it now. Turn around. Turn away from the things that have distracted you. Turn away from your slumber and your sleep. Turn away from all the petty distractions you've been giving yourself to. Turn away and turn toward the Jesus who loves you and has saved you and has given you his Holy Spirit. Lean into that and follow him. These are the five commands that Jesus gives to wake us up. Well, what's at stake? What is the urgency? Jesus goes on to say, but if you don't wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I come to you. Wow. Jesus in the Gospels used this kind of image, the image of the thief breaking in. No one expected it. And it's not so much that Jesus is going to ransack your house, though he might. But it's really about the fact that Jesus, he's playing on the fact that you would have been awake and watching for the thief if you would have expected him to come. But you fell away because you were complacent, not realizing that your house was going to get robbed. And so Jesus uses that as an image to call his people to be wakeful, to be watchful. This command at the start to wake up can also be translated, be watchful, or continue to be watchful. Keep on being watchful. And the problem in this church is that they've fallen asleep on the watch. Jesus calls us into relationship with him. He forgives us our sin. He gives us the Holy Spirit. But that's not where it ends. At that moment, we are commissioned as his people to, here it is again, help people find and follow Jesus, to make disciples. That's what he gave us, the mission he gave us to. And this commission to reach others, to help them find and follow Jesus, is a commission to be wakeful, to be alive on behalf of the world to be wakeful and alive so that we can be active witnesses of God's grace to the people around us, the families, our own families, the people we work with or go to school with. We need to be awake and alive so that others can actually know God's grace for them, God's love for them. If we aren't alive, if the church of Jesus Christ is not alive, no one else comes to life. Do you hear that? If the church of Jesus isn't alive, no one's coming to life. Because Jesus gave us the commission to make his life known to others. And so it's so crucial. Everything hangs in the balance. This church in Sardis had become like the people of Sardis, complacent at the watch. You see, the city of Sardis told themselves certain stories about how invincible they were. They had this long, glorious history. And one of the things they told themselves is, do you know that the city of Sardis had never fallen to a foreign enemy by direct assault. Do you realize that? No one, no one, because no one knows what Sardis is, and I didn't either. But that's okay. They had never, this is the story they would tell themselves. Do you know how impregnable we are? We're set up on this hill, beautiful sheer walls, no one can get to us. We're perfectly fine. 
This is the story they told themselves. They were naturally positioned to repel all invaders. And they felt pretty good about it. But that wasn't entirely true. They didn't look far enough back into their history to be reminded that in their history there were two times the city of Sardis had fallen. No, not by direct assault. Guess how they fell? Special forces scaled the back wall, overcame the sleeping guards, and opened up the gates for the enemy army to march in. Two times the city of Sardis had fallen. Why? Because they failed to keep watch. You see the connection? Jesus is saying to his church, wake up. Do you realize what's going on here? Do you realize the war that's descending? Do you realize how much you need to be on guard? That you're not impregnable? That the city of Sardis is going to be overtaken? That the church in Sardis is going to be coming up against brutal forces? This is what the book of Revelation is going to be showing them. And he warns them, you've got to wake up or I'm going to show up and I'm going to wake you up. It's an amazing powerful call to his church. Well, is that all Jesus had to say to the church in Sardis? No, he has a little more. It's not all bad news. Jesus has a final word with a little bit of hope in it. Here's what he says. Yet, you, the people in Sardis, have a few people who have not soiled their robes, referring to unfaithfulness, having forgotten, having fallen asleep. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and His angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In this final promise, we see something really important from Jesus. You see, the church in Sardis had a good name, right? Good name in the community. A good name probably among the churches in in Asia. But their name before God was dying. And here's the promise that Jesus gives. If you will wake up, if you will strengthen what remains, if you will remember what you've received and heard, if you will hold fast that, and if you will repent, if you will turn around, then you will join in with the victors. And your victory, hear it, it'll be that their name, their character, their reputation would, would not only not be blotted out from the book of life, but Jesus says, I'm going to go and brag about you Talk about your reputation before my Father and His angels. This throne room that we're going to see in Revelation 4 and 5. That as we allow Jesus to have our reality match our reputation, He's going to go before His Father and He's going to tell Him all about our reputation as His people. This is amazing high praise. This is a high promise that Jesus gives to the slumbering church if they will wake up. Well, it's 10 to 12, and I don't know if we have time for questions and comments. Do we? Five minutes. Let's do it. Ethan's going to walk around. What kind of questions, comments do you have? I apologize for the, you know, I, I know I preach a sermon at offering time already. You get two for the price of one. But uh, I, I, uh, I, let's take a moment. Uh, and uh, if you've got questions or comments you'd like to make, we're going to do it fairly quickly today. Go ahead and put your hand up, and Ethan will come with the microphone to you. Anyone? You are that hungry, eh? (laughs) All right, we'll leave it there. That's good. Thanks, Ethan. Where do we go with this? Oh, by the way, I do try to preach shorter sermons, you understand. I really, really do. Today I told myself I'd only preach a four-pager, but... 
What do we do with this? Where do we go with this? I mean, how do we answer this as a church? Well, I think there's two questions. Here's the first one. Where is Jesus revealing a gap between your reputation and your reality? Where's the gap? Now, you, remember, you heard me say earlier, grace, the grace of Jesus fills our gaps, right? And there's a grace gap in our lives. We acknowledge that. That as we are growing toward Jesus, we recognize the areas in our lives where, wow, do I ever have a lot of growth to do? Right? Jesus, he makes up for that. That's grace. But there are certain times where we have to realize, you know what? There's a gap here that I haven't been acknowledging. There's a gap here between what people think about me or even what I tell them about myself and what is really true in my heart and my life. What is that gap that Jesus is revealing to you? It might be in your marriage. It might be in your faith. It might be in the way that you are speaking to others. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know where the reputation gap, between the reputation and reality gap is. But Jesus does know. And he wants you to become fully alive. Which means that we acknowledge the gap, and we let his grace fill that, and move us toward his vision for us of being fully alive and fully awake. So what is the gap for you? And then... Second question is, what do you need to remember that you've forgotten? And what or how will you repent in light of the gap that Jesus has revealed? What do you need to remember? Do you need to remember what God has done in your life? Do you need to remember the times when you didn't experience his freedom? Do you need to remember what it was like before you knew that you were loved and that you were pressured? Do you have to remember what it was like before you even had a community around you? I don't know. But what do you need to remember and how will you repent? In other words, how will you, practically speaking, turn around and actually begin to walk in a different direction based on what God has revealed to you this morning? Is it an area that you need to serve? Is it a conversation you need to have with someone? Is it something you need to confess to a confidant who you can trust? Is it, is it an area in your life where you've been wrestling and wrestling and wrestling and Jesus finally said this morning, I want to help you deal with that. Let's do it. Let's do it now. I don't know what it is. But I'm confident that as we are here this morning, letting Jesus speak to us, letting Jesus reach over and take us by the shoulder and shake us awake, that if we're open to that, he will reveal to us the areas that need to be strengthened. The areas where the work is unfinished. The areas where we're, we're so deeply asleep that we're nearly dead. He will reveal that to us. And by his grace, he will wake us up. There's so much at stake. I mean, can you imagine the difference it would make in this valley if our church came fully alive? Can you imagine the difference in the families, in the children, in the men and the women in this valley if you came alive? Imagine the difference it would make in this church if you came alive. If you let Jesus shake you and wake you. Lives are at stake. You heard what I said earlier. If the church isn't alive, no one gets life. Lives are at stake if we don't wake The life of your kids are at stake. Your own kids. The spiritual lives of your kids are at stake if you don't wake up. 
the life of the kids in our church, the life of our kids in our schools, in our valley, the life of your neighbors, the life of the people you drive by on the highway, the life of the people you work with, they're all at stake if we don't wake up. They might think you're great, you know. I'm sure most of them do think that most of you are great. That you're nice. You're kind. But that's not enough. You know, they can think you're terrific, wholesome, loving group of people, wonderful, aren't they great? But if they don't know the love of God that transforms them, what's the point? If they don't know the forgiveness of Jesus that frees them from sin, who cares what they think of us? If they don't know what it's like to have God living inside of them, cleaning out the muck, forgiving them of their sin, redirecting their whole purpose, if they don't know what it's like to walk each day knowing that they're loved and they're precious, if the people that you and I know never find that out, who cares what they think of you? Who cares if you have a good reputation? Who cares if the Erickson Trevenant Church is known as a great church. Lives are at stake. And Jesus is calling us to wake up and be his people in this valley. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray in your grace you would wake us up and that we would respond with passion and with boldness, with fearless faith, letting you do the work in our lives and in our church so that the people, the men, the women, the children of this valley, in whatever situation they're in, that they would... Come to know your love for them. Jesus, the only way the people of this valley are going to receive your life is if your church comes alive. And so, Jesus, I ask that you would wake us up. In your name we pray. Amen.